0: The Sangha is invited to come back to our deep, so that
1: our collective energy of mindfulness will bring us together as an organism going as a river with no more separation.
0: Let the whole Sangha breathe as one body, chant as one body, listen as one body, and transcend the boundaries of a divisive self, liberating from the superiority complex, the inferiority complex and the equality complex. Sangha, today is uh, the fourth of June in the year 2012, and we are in the Upper Hamlet in the still Water Meditation Hall. This is uh, the fourth day of our retreat to team, the science of the Buddha. <laughs> the training of a Buddhist monk uh, is very uh, rigorous. Uh, the yogi, the practitioner, has, uh, should receive uh, complete instructions in order to begin uh, his or her practice. When you sit down, You are supposed to sit in mindfulness. And there is a a verse for you to use for your in-breath and out-breath while you are about to sit down. And you should memorize that verse in order to practice. It goes like this, sitting here, is like sitting at the foot of a Bodhi tree in order to get enlightened. I keep my uh, position upright and my mind dwells perfectly in mindfulness. And when I was ordained as a Buddhist uh, novice, a novice monk, Uh, that is what uh, they got in the uh, in the beginning. You are giving about uh, 50, 52 verses to memorize, in order to practice mindfulness. There is one verse for you to sit down, and that is why when you observe an office sitting down, you can know you know that he is a good practitioner or not, because. Uh, when he is about to sit down, he go back to his body with mindful breathing, and he use the verse. Breathing in, he read the first verse. Breathing out, he read the second, uh, the first line. Uh, read, uh, breathing out, he read the second line. Uh, breathing in again, he read the third line. And breathing out, he, he read the fourth line. So during the time of breathing in and out, two times like that, he is really with himself in the here and the now. And that is the practice of sitting in mindfulness. Sitting here is like sitting at the foot of the Bodhi tree. My posture my, uh, is uh, solid, erect, and uh, my mind is perfectly in mindfulness. So when you look at someone sitting, you know that he is sitting uh, the correct way or not. And uh, the correct way is to sit in such a way that you are solid. You deal, you deal in the here and the now, and you are relaxed. So the eight minutes spent together sitting, before the dhamma talk, should be the eight minutes of peace and joy. Because if you practice sitting correctly, and then joy and peace should be, should be the thing you you enjoy. Uh, during the sitting. And how you do that? You use your body. You make good use of your lungs, your body, your back. You make good use of the whole whole body, and you make good use of your in-breath and out-breath. And you know how to handle your mind so that the sitting and the breathing can generate the energy of mindfulness, peace, and joy. And that is what can, that can nourish us and heal us. So eight minutes of sitting is eight minutes of joy, of peace, of mindfulness, of healing, of nourishment. And that should be enjoyable. And when you sit for 45 minutes, it should be the same. 45 minutes of sitting is 45 minutes of mindfulness, of concentration, of peace of uh, nourishment and healing and uh, sit in such a way that you generate uh, mindfulness and concentration uh, that release the tension in your body and bring joy and bring peace to your body and your mind. And the training is uh, very uh, rigorous. And when you invite the bell to sound, we don't say strike the bell or hit the bell, that's too violent. So in the Buddhist tradition, we say, inviting the bell to sound. The bell is a friend, the bell is a Bodhisattva that helped bring us back to the here and the now. So we should uh, treat the bell nicely and with respect. That's why as a bellmaster, today, Brother Fablin uh, is the bellmaster. before before invite, before inviting the bell to sound, we have to bow to the bell as a friend, as a bodhisattva. Even if the bell is a mini bell, may I have the mini bell? So uh, holding. This is not a stick, this is the inviter, this is the invited, this is going to invite that to, to speak up. So holding the stick like this, in the case of uh, this uh, bell, you may like to put the inviter up like this, and your left hand and your right hand. And then you practice breathing. And there is a verse for you to use while breathing. As a bellmaster, you have to be... As a bellmaster, you have to be calm, to be concentrated, to be mindful, to be solid in order for the quality of the sound to be good enough for the Sangha. That is why before inviting the bell to sound, you have to prepare yourself. And the practice of breathing in and out with the verse help you to be qualified as a bell master. And, and the verse is like this. body. Speech and mind in perfect oneness. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. May all of you who listen to me for awaken from your forgetfulness and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. And when I was a novice monk, I had to um, learn the, to learn uh, to memorize the verse in classical Chinese. But now we have the Vietnamese version, we have the English version, we have the German version, and so on. And you can find these verses in the chanting book. Breathing in, mindfully, you read the first line, body, speech, and mind in perfect oneness. You are concentrated. I send my heart along with the sound of this bell. That is the second line. May those of you who listen to me awaken from your forgetfulness. Forgetfulness is the opposite of mindfulness. And then you breathe out again, and you say, and transcend the path of anxiety and sorrow. And after having breathed in and out, mindfully like that, with the gata, you are well-concentrated, you are solid, and you are qualified as a bell master. And then, the first thing you do after that is to wake up the bell. This is a half sound. And this uh, is to warn people that a full sound is going to happen very soon. this is uh, the sound in order to wake up the bell to tell the bell that uh, she is invited to offer us a full sound and from the time you produce the half sound until the full sound comes you have the time to prepare yourself and and, uh, allow the people around you to have a chance to prepare themselves for the reception of the sound. So after offering the half sound, you breathe in again mindfully and you breathe out again mindfully and your in-breath and out-breath should be long enough so that you can allow the people around you have the time to prepare themselves for the reception of the full sound. Whatever you are saying, whatever you are thinking, you stop right away when you hear the warning sound, the wake-up sound. And every time you hear that sound, you know that a full sound is going to happen, and you stop all your thinking, stop all your talking, and go back to yourself with your mindful in-breath and your mindful out-breath. And you should allow people to have enough time to prepare themselves for the reception of the full sound. And then you invite the bell to produce the full sound. According to the tradition, to the the practice, when you hear this full sound, you have the chance to enjoy breathing in deeply, breathing out deeply for three times. And there is another, another verse for you to practice while breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in, you say, I listen, I listen deeply, not only with my ear but I listen with all my body and mind, breathe in such a way that all the cells in your body join you in the listening. You are a community of cells. And the energy of uh, of mindfulness and concentration is generated in every cell of your body. And that is a real concentration. And that is the quality of listening. I listen, I listen. It means the many trillions of cells in my body are joining me in listening to the bell. The sound of the bell is the voice of the Buddha from inside of you, calling you home to the here and the now. That is a very deep practice. I listen, I listen deeply, and when you breathe out, you say, this wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. And your true home is in the here and the now, where life is available. In your daily life, you might live in forgetfulness, your mind goes back to the past, uh, is pulled away to the future, and caught in your project, your anger, your fear, your mind is not with your body, and you are not in the here and the now. You are not truly alive. You are in forgetfulness, in the realm of forgetfulness. You are not in the realm of mindfulness. And as soon as uh, you begin to breathe in mindfully, you bring your mind home to your body, and there you are in the realm of of mindfulness established in the here and the now. And now you are in position to touch life and all the wonders of life in the here and the now. So every time you hear the full sound, everyone stop thinking, stop talking, and enjoy breathing with the verse, I listen, my whole body is listening. This wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. And by breathing in and out like that, you generate the energy of mindfulness, the, the generate of calm, of peace. And that peace penetrates into every cell of your body. And you are in a state of uh, release, relaxation. And listen like that will bring healing transformation and joy and peace and nourishment to your body. And the practice should be pleasant, otherwise uh, it's not a good practice. And then after each uh, full sound, you have a chance to enjoy three times breathing in and breathing out with that uh, verse. And then the bell master invites the second full son. And he measures the time between the two sons with his in-breath and out-breath. And if he is uh, a good bell master, he allowed a few extra seconds for the people to enjoy. Because each, uh, the, the, the time between the two sons of bell should be enough for people to enjoy three deep breathing in and breathing out. So it's very nice of the bell master to allow us a few more uh, extra seconds so that we can fully enjoy our in-breath and our breath And when you have uh, finished uh, your three sounds of the bell, people have already had a chance to enjoy nine breath and nine breath, and during that time, uh, the energy of peace and mindfulness, compassion and joy can be, can be uh, generated. And when everyone practices together, the collective energy of mindfulness, of peace, of joy, will be very powerful. And that is what a sangha, a community practice, can produce. And that has the power to heal to transform uh, as a novice, you have uh, uh, many many verses like that to memorize uh, when you brush your teeth, there is one for you, one verse for you, so that you can enjoy everything uh, brushing your teeth. Uh, when you button up your vest, uh, you have another verse to do that. And uh, that is the training of a yogi, a practitioner. So the training is a very uh, uh, rigorous. I don't know how the scientists train themselves. <laughs> but uh, I think in, uh, in Buddhism and in science, the most basic instrument is the mind. And in the Buddhist tradition, training the mind is the basic thing. If the mind is overloaded with uh, fear, anger, uh, confusion, that is not an instrument for inquiry. If the mind is overloaded with prejudices, that is not uh, a good instrument for for looking. The the Buddhist, the yogi, uh, her practice is the practice of looking deeply. Because meditation means to have the time to look deeply. And when you are not calm, when you are not concentrated, you cannot look deeply. That is why mindfulness and concentration help your mind to be calm, to be clear, to be concentrated. And you can succeed only if, uh, in the in the work of looking deeply if you know how to train your mind. You should ask the scientists how they train their mind, because... Uh, They have a lot of instruments, but they know that the main instrument, the basic instrument, should be their mind. And in the Buddhist uh, tradition, it's very clear that there are two obstacles for our mind. We have to remove these two obstacles. The first obstacle is uh, knowledge. (laughs) In Buddhism, knowledge is an obstacle. You have to know how to release knowledge. What you know might be an obstacle. Someone who is climbing on a ladder. If, uh, for instance, if he climbs on the fourth uh, step, and if he thinks that is uh, the highest, and then that's the end of inquiry. So he has to know that there is a fifth step, and if he wants to come up to the fifth step, he has to release the fourth step. And that is why in the Buddhist tradition, uh, you learn to let go of your knowledge, because knowledge in Buddhism is an obstacle for knowledge. That is the first obstacle. You should not be caught your, your, own, your what, for, uh, in what you know. You have to be ready to release what you know, in order to go to another level of uh, knowing, of understanding. And in the tradition, Buddhist tradition, this is the most important thing. You have to learn how to release what you know. Uh, There is a, a story told by the Buddha, to illustrate this. The merchant, a businessman, uh, while he was uh, away from his home, his village was burned out, and uh, and the pirates uh, uh, took uh, away his little boy. So when he came home, he suffered so much. His hound was burned down, and he could not find his little boy. And he saw the charred body of uh, a child close to his house, and he believed that to be the body, the dead body of his uh, little boy. That is a perception. So according to the Indian tradition, uh, uh, he has to organize a funeral, incineration. Well, he bit his chest, he pulled his hair. He regret that he has left his uh, little boy at home. And after the the incineration, he he kept uh, the ash in a little bag. And he, he carries that back with him, whatever he goes. And that is the, the way we deal with what we know. We cherish what we know. Uh, we think that is uh, the most uh, precious thing we have. Sleeping, uh, working, eating, he always uh, carries... The back of uh, the back of uh, Ash of his uh, so-called uh, little boy, his son with him. And one night, while he was uh, sleeping, uh, waking up at midnight and crying because his son is no longer with him. His real son was able to escape from the pirate towns and come home, and if he came to the place where the new house was built and he knocked at the door. And the poor uh, father was uh, holding the bag of, uh, of ash of his uh, son, crying. And he said, Who is there? And the little boy said, It's me, daddy. Open the door for me, and because uh, this uh, fellow believed that his his boy is already dead, he has performed the ceremony, funeral ceremonies, and he is holding already the ash of his son. So, so this must be a naughty boy trying to disturb him. So he refused to to open the door, and finally the little boy has to go away. So the Buddha said that if you consider something to be the truth and if you are attached to that, you are caught. Even when the truth itself comes and knock at your door, you will not open. And this is a very uh, very clear in Buddhism, the practice of releasing your knowledge, your view. And that is the first obstacle for the mind that a meditator should um, should be able to remove we should not be uh, should not uh, be sure of anything and in the kalama sutra the buddha said like this do not believe in anything even that is written in the scripture do not believe in anything even That has been said by a great teacher, great master. Anything that you hear, you have to try to put into practice. And if it works, it can help liberate you from your suffering, uh, you can accept that as the truth, but not before. And that is the spirit of Buddhism. And I think that should be also the principle the spirit of science. There are good Buddhists. There is good Buddhism and there is bad Buddhism. And I I think that there is good science and bad science. And uh, good science is the kind of science that is ready to release what we think to be the truth. That is the first obstacle. The second obstacle in Buddhism is your afflictions, your, your sorrow, your fear, your anger, your despair. And all of that are obstacles because they make your mind not clear enough. So practicing in order to remove your fear, transform your anger and your confusion, that is uh, to make uh, your mind into an instrument that can help you to perceive the truth. So, knowledge as the first obstacle, and afflictions as the second obstacle. And I think uh, in the tradition of science, that should, be, uh, that should be true also. If a scientist is overloaded, overloaded by anger and fear, and that's where, how can he succeed in his attempt to, to find out the truth? Because uh, both the scientists and the yogi, they practice looking deeply in their own way. Uh, Buddhist practitioners are using mindfulness and concentration in order to get a breakthrough. And scientists, I think, if they develop uh, mindfulness and concentration, uh, they can do better their work. And if uh, they know the way to remove the, these two obstacles, they would have a, a, a better instrument, which is their mind, in order to practice looking deeply into nature. Bellmaster. These are four foundations of mindfulness. It means that there are four kinds of objects of looking deeply. To meditate means to have the time to practice looking deeply. And looking deeply at what? What is the object of your mindfulness? What is the object of your concentration? And what is the object of your mind? And we know very well that the first uh, realm, the first object of meditation is body.
1: And there is
0: uh, a sutra, a scripture on the contemplation of the body in the body. In fact, there are many, but there is one with the title the contemplation of the body in the body. So the body is the first object of meditation. You have to meditate on your body. You look deeply into your body. And uh, for uh, in the in the sutras of mindful breathing, uh, you have these four exercises in order to handle your body. And the first uh, to be with. Your in breath and with your out breath, you approach your body first by contacting your in breath and your out. The best way, the best way in order to approach your body is through the way of your in breath and out breath, with mindful breathing in and out, you connect yourself with your body. And the practice is pleasant also.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The second exercise is to follow your in-breath and out-breath all the way through. In that way, you, cons- you increase your mindfulness and your concentration, and that is also pleasant. Just to sit and enjoy breathing in and follow your in-breath from the beginning to the end can bring a lot of joy and, and of healing. And the third is to be aware of your body, to be with your body. (coughs) Connecting with your body. Remember that you have a body. Bring your mind home to your body in order for you to be established in the here and the now for you to have a chance to live your life. And you have an opportunity to live each moment of your life deeply. You are not pulled away by the thinking about the past, by the thinking about the future and so on. And all these exercises are very simple, but the effect is enormous. Because if you are in uh, in touch with your body, you are in touch with life, the cosmos and planet earth, and the fourth uh, exercise, as we already know, that is to release the tension in in your body to calm your body, and there are more there are more instructions. Uh, Given by the Buddha, so that we can look deeply into your body, into our body, and restore wellness in in your body. And there is an exercise uh, proposed by the Buddha. He used the he used the example of a farmer going up to the cellar, and bring down a bag of seeds. And he opened one side. One end of the bag and allow all kinds of seeds to flow on the floor. And with eyes still in good condition, he recognized every sort of seeds. And he recognized this is the mung bean seeds, this is a kidney bean seeds, this is a, a corn seeds, and so on. So the same thing is true with the practitioner. In a lying position or a sit position, the, practitioners, the practitioner passes in review. of all elements in his body, beginning with uh, uh, his head down. Breathing in, I'm aware of uh, my brain. Breathing out, I smile to my brain. Breathing in, I am aware of my eyes. Breathing out, I smile to my eyes. And you go down, you go down. Breathing in, I am aware of my heart. Breathing out, I smile to my heart. You pass in review. Uh, all parts of your body, like that farmer, he recognize every kind of seeds that he see on the floor. So this is a uh, scanning your body, with the, not with the X-ray, <laughs> but with uh, the ray of mindfulness. You recognize every part of your body, and you and you and you smile to it. And you might find that they are conditions of your happiness. And whenever you go through a part of your body that does not, uh, that is not well, you might like to, to, to stay with that longer, and breathe in and out, and send your compassion, and embrace that part of your body with compassion. Suppose you have some trouble with your liver. And while scanning your body with mindfulness, uh, you come to your liver and you know that your liver needs more of your attention, your mindfulness, your compassion. So you should uh, stay longer with your liver, breathing in, become aware of your liver, and its situation, breathing out, embracing your liver with with uh, the energy of mindfulness and compassion, and that help you, even if you are taking some medicine, this will help uh, the healing to happen more quickly. So, so looking into your body and helping your body to suffer less and to risk to, to, to restore its well-being. And that is the first, uh, the first uh, object of uh, meditation, contemplation of the body in the body. The second realm, the second object of uh, meditation is your feeling. And there are feelings that have uh, roots from the body. And there are feelings that have roots in your perception. Your wrong perception may bring a lot of uh, painful feeling to you. So uh, in the realm of feeling, the Buddha proposed the fifth exercise, which is uh, how to uh, generate a pleasant feeling, a feeling of joy. Generating joy. The sixth generating happiness, and the seventh, we already already know to be there with uh, a feeling of uh, pain. Breathing in, I'm aware of the painful feeling in me. Breathing out, I embrace uh, the painful feeling in me. And that is what a good practitioner should do. A good practitioner does not seek to run away from the pain in him or in her. A good practitioner knows how to generate the energy of mindfulness and concentration in order to recognize the pain and embrace tenderly with compassion. Why? Because by doing so, she can calm down the pain. And that is uh, the eighth uh, exercise. Aware of the painful feeling and uh, calm, calming the painful feeling. It's very um, pragmatic, it's very uh, practical. And then the, the, third, the third domain of uh, looking deeply, the third object of looking deeply is the mind. It's your mind. The practitioner looks into his mind. His mind is the object of meditation. The scientists, they like to look at nature. And mind here is uh, a kind of river. And as a river, it's made of drops of water. So the mind is something that is made of uh, the so-called mental formations. And in uh, my tradition, we speak of... uh, 51 mental formations. And as a novice, I have to memorize the 51 mental formations. And when a um, mental formation arises, I should be able to recognize it and call it by its true name, whether it is anger or fear. When anger comes up, I have to say, this is anger. Breathing in, I know the mental formation called anger is there. Breathing out, I'm going to take good care of the mental formation called anger. So you have to to memorize the names. You have to recognize uh, each mental formation as uh, it uh, arises. So to meditate is to sit, on the bank of the river of the mind, and to recognize every mental formation that arises. That is because the mind is a succession of mental formations. Formation is a technical term in Buddhism. Every compounded thing is a formation, like. A A flower. A flower is a formation. A flower is made only of non-flower elements. The sunshine, the cloud, the earth, and so on. So many things have come together in order for the flower to manifest. So the flower is a formation. It is a physical formation. My hand is a formation. That is a philosophy. a physiological formation. Biolog- uh, bio- bio- and uh, your anger is a mental formation. So, to meditate on the mind means you sit on the bank of that river and observe the arising the, uh, and, uh, and going away of each mental formation. First of all, this is a simple, the practice of uh, simple recognition. You should not try to grasp the mental formation. Or you should not try to get away from the mental formation. You stay neutral. And your work is to just recognize it and call it by its true name. So there are uh, wholesome mental formations like uh, loving kindness, compassion, uh, equanimity, non-discrimination, joy, and so on. And there are unwholesome mental formations like fear, anger, hate, despair. And if one mental formation arises, the meditator should be able to recognize it. And if... uh, it is needed, and then we will look deeply into it and try to take good care of it. And later on, we shall be able to transform it the way we want. And in the Sutra on Mindful Breathing, the Buddha proposed four exercises only. And the first exercise exercise number nine is to aware to be aware of the mental formation that just arise when fear arises, we should be there to recognize it and to call it by its true name and if it, it need, if it is needed and then We should know how to handle our fear. Not trying to escape. Not trying to cover up. So you are aware of all mental formations when they, when every time they show up. The tenth is to. Is to gladden, is to uh, is to um, <coughs> to give a chance to uh, wholesome mental formation to arise. Uh, in the text, it is uh, it is uh, said to be the practice of gladdening the mind, gladdening, gladdening the mind. The classical Chinese is tâm This is a tâm The to recognize uh, the mental formation, to gladden the mental formations. We have good mental mental formations in us. We have, uh, before a mental formation manifest, it is in us in the form of a seed. Every one of us has a seed of anger inside. But when the seed of anger hasn't manifested as energy, We can smile, we can have a good time. But that doesn't mean that the seed of anger is not in us. And when it has not manifested, uh, it is there in the depth of our mind as a seed. Bija, that is the Sanskrit word. And in Chinese, we have the word jungtu. So all the fifty-one mental formations have their seat in our consciousness, in our store consciousness. And every time a unwholesome seed is water, like the seed of fear and anger, it manifests as a mental formation and it makes us suffer. So the practitioner knows how not to water the unwholesome seed. The practitioners know how to touch the good seeds so that they have a more chance to manifest. Because in Buddhism, uh, we speak of uh, consciousness as having at least two layers. Uh, The upper layer is called mind consciousness. And the lower layer is called store consciousness. And all these mental formations, before they manifest up in the le- on the level of mind consciousness, they stay down here in the form of seeds. So if you live in a bad environment, the bad seeds have more chance to come up as mental formations. And that is why it's very good, very important that we choose a kind of environment that will not turn on the bad seeds in us. When we come to a retreat like this, this is a good environment, because this environment helps the good seeds in us to be touched and manifest as wholesome mental formations. Mindfulness is a wholesome mental formation. Concentration is a wholesome mental formation. Loving kindness is a good one. Uh, uh, Compassion is another good one. Forgiveness is uh, another good one. Non-discrimination is a good one. So we should put ourselves in a kind of environment that helps turn on these, uh, these, these seeds. And that requires some, some skillfulness from the part of the practitioner. So we organize an environment for us, for our friends, for our family to live, so that uh, the landscape of mind consciousness is always a landscape of joy and happiness. And that is why uh, we do not water the negative seeds. The good practice is to water the good seeds so that they have a chance to come up here. And that is a practice uh, called right diligence. The other day we spoke of the, of the, of the eight noble, the noble Eightfold Path, but we did not have a chance to, to speak about uh, right diligence. Right diligence is that. Not to water the negative seeds, not to give them a chance to manifest. Uh, when you read newspaper, when you, uh, uh, when you um, watch television, when you have a conversation, uh, these things may touch off anger and fear and sorrow and despair. So we, we live in such a way, we organize our life in such a way that do not give these seeds these negatives, it's a chance to come up as a mental formation, and that, and then the good things in us, we have to organize so that they have plenty of chance to come up here, and that is true diligence. That is a good practice that can bring happiness very quickly to us and to our friends, to our family. So, so the ten exercise is to. Gladen the mind. That means to help uh, the good uh, seeds down here to have uh, plenty of chance to come up. And the eleventh exercise is uh, to nourish concentration. Concentration the mind. Concentration the mind. And the twelve is to liberate the mind. Suppose uh, a seat. of uh, of fear uh, of anger has uh, come up instead of trying to suppress it or ignore it the practitioner knows how to recognize it and uh, in the realm of uh, feelings the practitioner knows how to calm it down but now the practitioner knows how to go further, not only to calm it down, but to know how to look deeply and how to transform it. And the way is to concentrate on that and look deeply into that. And we know that mindfulness brings about concentration. And when mindfulness and concentration are powerful, we will have a breakthrough and we have the insight Mindfulness, concentration, insight are the three kinds of energies generated by the yogi that has the power to liberate. And uh, yesterday we spoke about three kinds of practice of uh, concentration. There are many kinds of uh, uh, practice of concentration in Buddhism. And uh, yesterday we spoke about the three doors of liberation, um, emptiness, uh, signlessness, and aimlessness. That is the three kinds of contradictions that can be found in every school of Buddhism. And then the last domain of uh, meditation, the last object of meditation, is called uh, object of mind. Mind and object of mind. In, the, in, in science, people call it nature. But in Buddhism, that is only the object of your mind. Nature, even that is a constellation, that is a galaxy, it is an object of your mind. It is not something independent from the object of your mind. This is a very important in Buddhism. What you see, what you perceive, is the object of your mind. In science, many scientists still believe that consciousness, and the object of consciousness are two distinctive things. That there is a consciousness, the subjective mind is in here and is reaching out in order to understand nature, the world of reality outside. In Buddhism that is the greatest mistake. That is called in Buddhism the dual grasping, the double grasping, La double prise. And I think if scientists listen to this, they may be inspired and uh, they may find another way to approach uh, the ultimate reality. In the teaching of uh, Buddhism, a perception, a perception is made of uh, at least two parts. This is a... we try to analyze. This is a way of speaking. There is a perceiver. And there is the the object of perception called the perceived. The technical term is uh, the subject and the object. And this part, this is consciousness. And consciousness uh, is made of... uh, Subject and object. This is called Tuong uh, Phan. This is called a uh, Phan. The Sanskrit word is Nimitta uh, Baga. And uh, darsana, bhaga. Uh, subject and object. We know that in the, in the, this, in the tradition of uh, phenomenology, they stated very clearly, la conscience, c'est toujours la conscience de quelque chose. Jamais la conscience, Consciousness is always consciousness of something. So if you believe that consciousness is something that can exist separately from the object of consciousness, you are wrong. And these two parts of, uh, of mind, they lean on each other in order to manifest. It is like uh, this marker. When we hold it like this, we distinguish left and right. And we believe that the left is not the right. The left can be taken out of the right, and the right can be taken out of the left. And sometimes we want to remove the left or the removal light. Maybe we should use uh, we like to use a knife in order to to eliminate the right. But as soon as you you finish cutting this spot becomes the right. Because if the left is there, the right is always there. You cannot take the right out of the left. You cannot take the subject out of the object. You cannot take the object out of the subject. They lean to each other in order to manifest. And in Buddhism, we speak of uh, sahabu. Bu means uh, to be, to arise and saha means together subject and object they lean on each other in order to manifest at the same time and if you believed that the subject can exist separately as consciousness and nature the object of your consciousness can exist separately from your consciousness you are caught in what buddhism calls the double grasping, and that is the greatest uh, obstacle for for understanding the world. We know that uh, that this is the paper we can distinguish uh, the left and the right, and in our discrimination discriminating mind. We think we think that the left is the opposite of the right, maybe the enemy of the right. (sighs) But uh, let us try like this: I ask one brother to take the left and to go to Bordeaux, and I will take the right to go to Belgium. It's impossible; (laughs) they are entangled. They are in each other. They cannot be depend, independent from each other. So the same thing is true with object and subject of consciousness. You, if you imagine that consciousness can exist outside of its object, that is the basic mistake, and that is very hard. And we have to train ourselves in order to overcome that kind of obstacle, the basic obstacle. And if our mind is caught in uh, dualism, we cannot, we have no chance to to touch the ultimate. And there are many pairs of uh, of opposite that we are caught into like when we ask the question, how consciousness emerges from matter? We suppose that there is a world of matter, inanimate matter, la matière inerte. We believe that there is a world called uh, uh, dead matter, la matière inerte. And we believe that there is Consciousness that can emerge from from that uh, world of that matter, that is discrimination. That is a double grasping. Also, the distinction, the 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 discrimination between matter and mind, is also a basic mistake. But uh, quantum mechanics now has begun to see that. We no longer believe that uh, that, uh, the electron, the photon is something inanimate. There is a lot of intelligence in them. When we look into a plant, we see that the plant knows how to grow, how to make beautiful uh, leaves and flowers and fruit. If there is no intelligence, no consciousness, how a plant can do like that? So you cannot qualify the world of uh, plants as uh, matter. There is intelligence, there is consciousness in that. When you look at the seashell, you see that uh, that little living being knows how to fabricate a wonderful uh, house for himself or herself. And Mother Earth knows how to produce such a thing. Do you think that Mother Earth is dead matter? Do you think Mother Earth is uh, la ma chèque inerte? We should not think of Mother Earth only as the environment. Mother Earth is not matter, Mother, because our discrimination between matter and mind, that kind of uh, dualistic view, should be transcended. And uh, quantum mechanics is about to touch that kind of non-dualism between matter, matter and, and mind, and they. Many scientists have already recognized that there is intelligence in the elementary particle. They know. Even they know many things that we don't know. And they don't need uh, the kind of uh, uh, means of uh, tra- um, communication that, 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 that we have. They can communicate better without our, our instruments. So one of the things I suggest the scientists try to overcome that kind of dualism between matter and mind. (coughs) uh, Socrates did not uh, accept the theory of uh, atoms because uh, he could not accept that uh, intelligent uh, being like a man is made of uh, dead matter. But now, we see better, uh, the atoms, the subatomic particles, they are very intelligent. In, the, in Princeton, mm, the, school of, uh, the School of Philosophy in Princeton, uh, they say there is thinking in the blue sky. There is thinking in the blue sky. Consciousness is everywhere. And that is why one of the obstacles is a discrimination between dead matter and consciousness. And we know that Mother Earth, we should learn while doing work meditation to look at Mother Earth not as an environment. We have Mother Earth in ourselves. We have the Father-Son in ourselves. And Mother Earth has produced many Buddhas, many Bodhisattvas. Shakyamuni is a son of Mother Earth. Jesus Christ, Mohammed, they are son of Mother Earth. How that matter can produce Bodhisattvas and saints and Buddhas like that. So we should try to throw away that kind of discrimination, that kind of uh, dualism between matter and mind. And that practice is called in Buddhism the path, the middle path. The middle path is the path transcending all pairs of opposite, including birth and death, being and non-being, matter and mind, subject and object. Suppose we speak about birth and death. Birth and death is like left and right. Without one, the other cannot be. Many of us believe that now is only life and death will be only later. That's not true. Because where there is life, there is death at the same time. When a biologist looks into his body, he knows that At this very moment, many cells in in his body are dying. That is happening in the here and the now. I don't wait until I get 100 in order to die. I'm dying in the here and the now. And because I'm able to die in the here and the now, life is is possible in the here and the now also. There are many uh, thousands of cells dying in this very moment. But we are so busy, we don't have enough time to organize funerals for them. (laughs) And there are many new cells are being born at this moment, but we have no time to organize birthday parties for them. (laughs) So wherever is life, there is death. Death based on life in order to be. Life is based on death already. Why are we afraid of death? Because that is the foundation of life. It's like the left and the right. The, the left and the right are there in the here and the now. And they base on each other in order to manifest. If you take away the left, the right is away also. So when God says, May the light be there, should uh, the light be there, He ordered light to come. And you can hear the light saying, but I have to wait. And God said, what are you waiting for? (laughs) And light said, I'm waiting for darkness to come and we manifest together because I alone, I cannot manifest. (laughs) And God said, but darkness is already there. And light said, "In in, in that case, I'm already there. So... So the middle way is a way to transcend all pairs of opposite. And this is the methods of uh, recommended by the Buddha. Gra, grahaka, yeah grasping. This is the subject of grasping, and this is the object of grasping, and we are caught by, by both. We believe that it is a subject that can exist independently from the object, and we believe that the object is something that can exist separately from the subject. And that is why uh, if we are still caught in that idea, we are caught by what what Buddhism calls a double grasping. And that is to remember us only that uh, what we, we call nature, first of all, we have to recognize it as uh, the object of our mind. There is no way to prove that nature can exist independently from the mind. But some philosophers say we have to, to believe to make it, to to take it like nature can exist outside of the mind. But there is no proof whatsoever to prove that there is something that can exist out of mind. And that is why in Buddhism, a practitioner should know that there is mind and there is object of mind. Reality, the ultimate reality is also object of mind when the mind is deluded and the object of it is the false image of reality, when the mind is clear, free, and the ultimate reality reveals itself, so our understanding of reality depends on the mind and what kind of mind you are using. And the question is, how the scientists prepare their mind. But in Buddhism, preparing the mind, uh, purifying the mind, uh, freeing the mind is the main job. Because when the mind is clear, it's free, and then reality can manifest itself. You don't have to go and look for it. And the Buddha also offers four kinds of exercises in order to help you look into the object of mind. The 13th exercise is uh, the contemplation of impermanence. That is one of uh, of the practice of concentration. But many of us uh, only have an idea of impermanence, a notion of impermanence, an intellectual understanding of impermanence. That is not impermanence. Because even if you agree that everything is impermanent, you still behave as if they are permanent. So impermanence here is an insight and not a notion. A notion does not have the power to liberate you, only an insight. The notion can be helpful, but you have to be careful not to be caught in notions. Even the notion of impermanence, the notion of no-self, the notion of uh, interbeing these notions are skillful means in order to help you you are given some instrument in order to work the land to grow vegetable and that instrument you should not worship it you should not put into an altar and worship you should make good use of that instrument in order to work the land in order to produce vegetable So the teaching is given not for you to worship, not for you to say, I have the truth. I monopolize the truth. And that truth is called interbeing, impermanence, non-self. It does not help. So the practice of samadhi, concentration, is to produce not a thought, not a notion, but an insight. It is the insight of impermanence that helps liberate you, and not the notion of impermanence. You know that your beloved one is impermanent. But you still have the feeling that she will be there for 1,000 years. And if you know that she is impermanent, you will do anything that can make her happy right here and right now. Maybe tomorrow is too late. So the idea of impermanence does not help. Only the inside of impermanence can help liberate us. Suppose you have. uh, You are angry at your beloved one. She just said something that makes you unhappy. She just did something that makes you unhappy. And with the anger in you, you want to suffer less. You want to say something in order to make her suffer. And you believe that doing that you will suffer less. You are not a practitioner. That's why when you suffer uh, you want to punish to make another person suffer so that you get uh, a relief. But that is an escalation of suffering. If you say something strong, mean, to make him or her unhappy, uh, she will suffer and she will try to suffer less by saying back something <laughs> that makes you suffer. Punishment. And we know that it is an escalation of anger. But according to this, we can do otherwise. When you get angry of your beloved one, and when you are about to say something to make her suffer, you remember you are a practitioner. You close your eyes, you breathe in, and you visualize your beloved one 300 years from now. What my beloved one will become in 300 years. And you don't need a lot of time. A few seconds can bring you the inside of impermanence. And you, you can realize right away that uh, to get angry at each other like this is stupid. <laughs> what I will become in 300 years, what she will become in 300 years. That's not wise to, get, to make each other suffer like that. And maybe you need only one in-breath in order to touch the nature of impermanence in you and in her. And that is inside, and not what you talk about. And when you breathe out, you open your eyes. And the only thing you want to do now is to take her into your arms and practice mindful breathing. Breathing in, I know that she is still alive. Uh, breathing out, I am so happy. The transformation can be very quick, with concentration concentration is samadhi. So impermanence should not be a notion, an idea. It should be a practice, should be a concentration. And the first uh, concentration that the Buddha recommend in the Sutra of Mindful Breathing is uh, the concentration of impermanence, Anitya. And the next exercise is the concentration on non-craving the objects of craving, like uh, fame, like success, like uh, power, like uh, money, like sex, and we believe that? Uh, Happiness will not be possible unless we get that. So we invest uh, our whole body, our whole mind, running after the object of our craving. And many of us suffer very deeply in the process of running after the objects of our craving. But if we look deeply into the object of our craving, we see a lot of dangers into it. Many people have destroyed their body and their mind just running, trying to run after these uh, four objects of craving. Uh, and many people have died, even committed suicide uh, when they they have plenty of these kind of things. They are not happy with them. So looking into the object of your craving. Deeply, you can see the danger in it. And when, once you see the danger of uh, the object of craving, it does not attack you anymore. You know that uh, you can be perfectly happy without it. If uh, the fish realize that in the the bait, there is a hook, then she never bites. If she bite and then she hook up and she will die. So if uh, looking deeply into the nature of our craving, we can see a lot of dangers. And if you see the danger in the object of your craving, you stop, you are free. And the fifteen is contemplation on 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 nirvana. Nirvana is uh, <coughs> is the ultimate reality. Is the nature or our true nature of no birth, no death, no being, no non-being. No coming, no going, no sameness, no otherness. All kinds of distinction, all kinds of discrimination are removed, including the notion of subject and object, matter and mind as two distinctive uh, reality. All these discriminations are removed. And when you touch nirvana, you are free. Free of all afflictions, including fear and craving and despair. And where can you find Nirvana? And the answer is very clear in the object of your perceptions. There are two uh, levels of uh, reality, there are two dimensions to reality, and in Buddhism we speak of uh, the ultimate reality, the ultimate dimension, and the historical dimension. bang is the ultimate dim, dimension of reality. And that is Nirvana. And the other is thich the historical dimension of reality. In the historical dimension of reality, you can see the beginning, a beginning, and ending. You can see birth and death. You can see time and space as two separate uh, entities. You can see the subject and the object. In the historical dimension, we need a birth certificate, proving that you are born on such or such an hour, a date from such and such parents. If you don't have that, you don't have an identity card. You cannot do anything. You do not have a job. You, you cannot draw the money from a bank. You need an identity. You need a date of birth and so on. And so in the historical dimension, there is birth and death. You are there or you are not there, so notions of being and non-being, uh, birth and death, uh, coming and going, uh, these belong to the realm of uh, relative truth, conventional truth. But uh, looking deeply into the world of phenomena in the historical dimension. And this is the practice of meditation. The other day we spoke about uh, looking deeply at a cloud. A cloud is in the historical dimension. Because yesterday, it was up there. Today, it's no longer there. And we can speak about the birth of a cloud and the death of a cloud. So birth, death, being there, not being there, all these notions belong to the realm, to the dimension called uh, historical dimension. But when we look deeply into the nature of a cloud. We see that the nature of the cloud is the nature of no birth and no death. There is no beginning, no ending. It is impossible for a cloud to die. It can become snow, or tea, or uh, rain, or ice. But it is impossible for a cloud to pass from the realm of being into non-being. So touching the historical dimension deeply enough, we touch the ultimate dimension. We don't have to go anywhere for the ultimate dimension. The ultimate dimension is right in the historical dimension. In the historical dimension, there is still discrimination between birth and death. This and the other, But when we go deeper, all these notions just disappear. And we touch the nature of no birth, no death, no coming, no going, no being, no non-being. We are free from all notions. And that is nirvana. That is the state of coolness. Nirvana, a philosophical term, a spiritual term, has come from the daily talking of the peasants in the morning when you make breakfast for your husband uh, you should gather some sticks in order to make fire and the fire of yesterday may have died completely so when you touch the ash it's cool it does not burn your finger anymore so nibbana nirvana is state of coolness not burning and the Buddha has used the word nirvana to talk about the state of no afflictions. Because the afflictions like anger, fear, uh, despair, they are burning us. They make us suffer. When we are, when we are able to remove all, uh, all these afflictions, we are in a state of cooling. Nirvana is cooling. They're cooling down. And because afflictions like fear, anger, despair, they are burning. That is why we suffer. And why we have these afflictions? Because of our way of looking at the world. Because we have notions of fear, or we have notions of birth and death, being and non-being. Me and you as, as separate entities we use our mind of discrimination. We are caught by many notions, including the notion of subject and object, matter, and mind. And that is why affliction arises. Once we are able to remove all these notions, including birth and death, being and non-being, and then all these afflictions have no ground in order to, to be born, and we are free. So nirvana is freedom. And first is freedom of notions. And in order to reach nirvana, you cannot use your mind of discrimination. And uh, modern science begins to see that. The scientists who say that uh, quantum mechanics is dealing with nature as she is. And that is absurd. She is absurd. Quantum mechanics is dealing with with nature as she is. It means absurd. because we thought that it is here, but it can be both here and there. We we thought that it is uh, a way, but it is, it may be something else, like uh, a particle. Why? Because we are using a kind of mind that cannot touch the ultimate. In classical science, we have notions and ways We believe that uh, reality can be independent from our mind. Whether we are there or not, nature is the same. But in modern physics, we don't think like that anymore. We think reality is in function of mind. Mind is linked to reality in such a way that you cannot take mind out of reality, and you cannot take reality out of mind. And modern sense begin to see that, that object and subject, they cannot be taken apart. They inter-are. Without this, the other one cannot be. So the mind that we use in the historical dimension is called, in Buddhism, the discriminative mind. The chinese uh, word is feng uh, bikti. it's good for for classical science, but it's no longer good no longer good enough for modern science the The Sanskrit word is near uh, is uh, vikanpa, snana. Snana means wisdom, and Vikanda means discrimination, the mind of discrimination. We have to distinguish between birth and death. Birth and death are two different things. We have to distinguish between left and right. They are different things. A rose is a rose. A rose cannot be a cloud. A rose cannot be the sunshine. And uh, our discriminative mind is based on on the principle of identity. That A can only be A. A rose can only be a rose. A rose cannot be something else. A human being can only be a human being. A human being cannot be a plant or an animal or a mineral. And that is the mind of discrimination. And with that mind of discrimination, we cannot touch the ultimate dimension. And that modern sense begin to see, to feel it. And that is why using the mind of they defines nature absurd. And that is why in Buddhism, you should use another kind of mind in order to approach the ultimate dimension, in order to touch nirvana. But the ultimate dimension is not something apart from the daily uh, life. What we touch in the historical dimension contains nirvana, and we touch them deeply enough with the mind of non-discrimination, and then nirvana is available in the here and the now. You don't have to go and look for it elsewhere. And that kind of uh, mind is called the nirvikanpa shnana. the mind of non-discrimination. And when you train yourself to use that kind of mind, you don't suffer anymore because you can touch the ultimate dimension. You touch the reality as it is and not... No longer a mental construction. The mathematics that we are having are still based on the mind of discrimination. The logic that uh, we are still using is a logic based on the principle of identity. A can only be A and cannot be B. That's our logic, that's our uh, uh, mathematics, still based on the principle of identity. But the Buddha proposed another way. The way uh, we do is uh, to look deeply. When you look into this sheet of paper with the mind of a meditator, what you see? You see that a sheet of paper is made of non-paper elements. You can see a tree inside. You can see the forest inside. You can see the rain on the forest. You can see the sunshine on on the forest you can see the factory that produces the sheet of paper and you see that the paper is made only of non-paper elements and if you remove all these non-paper elements there's no paper left so a is not exactly a a is b If you have not seen the trees, the sunshine, the factory, the worker, you have not seen the paper. So the new logic proposed by the Buddha is a kind of dialectics. A is not A. You have to see that. Paper is not paper. That is why it can be a paper. (laughs) If you have not seen the non-paper elements in a paper, you have not seen the sheet of paper. A paper, a sheet of paper, is made only of uh, non-paper elements. The sheet of paper is full of the cosmos, but empty of a separate existence. And this is called a conventional designation, paper. Conventional designation. The object of our meditation. We should look deeply into it and so the true nature of it it is a formation it does not have a substantial uh, core of existence it is full of everything else but it is empty of a separate self there is no separate existence and that is why Everything is a conventional designation without any real substance in it. So A, what you call A, is made only of non-A elements, including the Buddha. The Buddha is made of non-Buddha elements. And if you have not seen it, you have not seen the Buddha. And Buddhism is made of non-Buddhist elements. And when you see that, you are free from Buddhism. (laughs) You are free from the Buddha. Because you know that the Buddha is also a conventional designation, and Buddhism is also a conventional designation. That is why the middle-way dialectics is that A is not A. That is why it can be A. And the same thing should be applied to subatomic particles. Suppose we spoke about uh, an electron. And according to this principle, an electron is made only of non-electron elements. And if you have not seen that, you have not seen the electron. How do a scientist does a scientist observe an electron? They try to find out the so-called neck mass of the electron, and they try to find out what they call. Uh, the self-energy, the self-energy of an electron, in terms of the relationship between electron and its own uh, electromagnetic field. Without that field, uh, its field of uh, uh, (coughs) electromagnetic uh, magnetic field, and an electron is not an electron. So the same thing is true with a proton and a neutron. They are not separate objects. You have to see them as uh, a formation, a neutron, a neutron is made of non-neutron element. A proton is also made a non-proton element and it has a relationship with everything else in the cosmos. And that is why it's very important to see that A is not A. It's made of non-A elements. Everything, not just a flower or a sheet of paper, but your atom, your electron, and so on. And unless we see that a is just a formation made of elements that can uh, give uh, that can give it uh, a sign you have not really seen it and that is why it's very important to follow this kind of dialectics dialectics in buddhism we call the middle way dialectics it helps us to transcend the notion of this and that, the notion of subject and object, the notion of being and non-being, and so on. So uh, the kind of concentration that we practice uh, in Buddhism is the concentration that helps us remove all notions and all discriminations. all discrimination. And when discrimination is removed, separation is no longer there, and there is no more suffering. If He suffers because uh, of discrimination. And first of all, the discrimination between being and non-being, and birth and death. Someone who tries to kill himself, That person doesn't like being. He doesn't like to be anymore. And being becomes a burden. And he aspires to non-being, because he believed that belonging to the realm of non-being is much easier. So the mind of someone who is contemplating suicide is to aspire for non-being, because being has become too heavy for him or for us. And there are those who are looking for non-being. And there are those of us who are looking for being, who are very afraid of (laughs) non-being. And that kind of uh, longing, that kind of uh, suffering, is based on the notion of being and non-being. And reality, according to the Buddhist insight, is free from both notions. Reality cannot be described as being or non-being. So when we ask the question, why is there something rather than nothing? That is uh, a philosophical question, but that is also a scientific question. But in both cases, the philosopher and the scientist are still caught in the notion of being and not being. And, using the mind of discrimination, we go around, we find things are absurd, unless we have another instrument, the mind of non-discrimination, that can help us to transcend all kinds of notions, and then it will be possible for us to touch nirvana, to touch the realm of no birth and no death, and to have true freedom. And the last exercise on mindful breathing is to let go. (laughs) You let go of all notions. You let go of your notion of being and non-being. You let go of your notion as matter and mind as two distinctive things. You let go of your mind, your your notion of subject as a separate uh, element, and so on. And the instruction is very clear. Shall we uh, do some mindful moments before we invite uh, Professor Tung to come and ask a few questions about Buddhism? (laughs) Please stand up. bring a few shares. I enjoy breathing in. I smile breathing out. enjoy touching the sky. enjoy breathing out. Let's try this, breathing in. Breathing out, in, out. The other leg, in, out. You point your toes to the earth, in, out, in, out. Go out going up, breathing in, going down, breathing out. Let's try it ten times. More. <laughs> Wonderful, <laughs> please sit down. My <laughs> anthem, <laughs> Đó thầy xin chút nước uống thầy ngồi bên nào bác ạ Can habe have nicht
1: with
0: English? mạnh thôi. Rồi quá ngủ được không? Đã, đã, đợt, đợt. There's a cloud in my teeth. time to enjoy breathing and being together. This is a happy moment. Buddhism is easier than science. We're
2: yeah? <laughs> <laughs> waiting. Is some technical detail that waiting for to have a meet for, for for the film. So that's that's why we. Looking for one, uh, apparently, not enough Et pour les francophones hier euh, il y a certains qui ont été déçus que je parlais pas français bien que je parle bien français et que je suis en France donc je vais essayer donc euh, de parler en, en, en anglais pour la plupart des anglophones mais aussi je vais Moi-même, je vais me traduire moi-même en français pour les francophones. Donc, j'espère que voilà. Donc... <rire> oui,
0: oui. Est-ce que tu dois se traduire en vietnamien aussi? <rire> Professor Tung has to go back to Paris to receive a prize, an award, so he cannot be with us uh, for the lazy day tomorrow, and so on. Ask sort of question in French.
2: Je, je les deux. Les deux. I, will, I will translate myself because yesterday apparently there was too many technical details that the translator could not translate, uh, and then I was speaking too fast. Also, I'm sorry, but uh, so apparently the people were um, French-speaking did not get. I mean, it, you know, a lot of it was missed Apparently, so. I tried to correct this by translating myself today. Apparently we uh, we can start. On peut commencer. So if uh, if you would, I would like to, to ask you a few questions about uh, some of the remarks you made today about the relationship between science and Buddhism. So um, a first question is oh I'm sorry. A first question is um, you said that. Um, Buddhism said that one has to get rid of all knowledge, previous knowledge, prior knowledge, uh, uh, to, to, to have a clear mind. Of course, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I think that in science, one has to temperate that, of course, to, to, to mo- modify that slightly by saying that uh, one should know things that were gone before, but keep a clear and open mind. That means it's not fixed. Um, you know, if you have to, since in the study of nature, uh, you can always make new experiment, new observation, discovery of new galaxy, a new uh, star. That may change all what you call uh, in science a paradigm, namely that you know you have to have a a, a common language first, you know, so we can communicate with each other. Uh, so that's called a paradigm in the world of the history, history and the science, uh, Thomas Kuhn. And then once devised experiment and observation to test that paradigm uh, to see whether it fits or does not fit. If it does not fit, of course, uh, you have to change the paradigm. And if it fits then, you know, it reinforces it. But, of course, you cannot go with zero. I mean, in science, one constructs like a house, you build bricks by bricks. You know, then you you have uh, Newton and then Maxwell and then Einstein and then so on. You know, you cannot go, uh, of course, to start from zero every time. Uh, Then you don't have a a common paradigm even to talk about and to devise experiments. So I would say that in the scientific method, one should be aware of what's going on before, uh, all the work, all the ideas that have been proposed, but of course, keep a clear and open mind. So would you agree with that? Euh, Je vais, avant sa réponse, je vais maintenant traduire ma ma question pour les francophones. Donc, euh, euh, Trajad a dit dans son enseignement aujourd'hui que euh, le bouddhiste dit qu'il faut éradiquer toute connaissance euh, de son esprit. Bien sûr, ça ne peut pas être le cas euh, euh, quand on pratique la science. Il faut être au courant, bien sûr, de ce qui s'est passé, de toutes les idées, toutes les théories qui ont été proposées auparavant, de Newton en passant par Maxwell, en passant par Einstein parce qu'on construit pas en science un, un, un édifice toujours de, de zéro on, on, on fabrique brique par brique un, un édifice et puis bon on, donc on, on, la relativité ne détruit pas la, 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 la théorie de gravitation de Newton, il, il, la, il la renforce ou, ou la ou on est une extension dans des, dans des cas différents, comme des vitesses beaucoup plus grandes ou une gravité beaucoup plus grande, comme autour d'un trou noir, par exemple. So, euh, donc, euh, donc, il faut pas... Euh, moi, je pense qu'il faut modifier ce, 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 cette phrase à propos de l'activité scientifique. On ne peut pas partir de zéro tout le temps. Donc, c'est, c'est ma question. Donc, à, à, donc, est-ce, que, est-ce qu'il est d'accord avec ce point de vue ou non
0: well we speak about um, non attachment to views <coughs> you may have a view but what uh, you do is to be ready to release that view uh, you can make good use of the view with the awareness that uh, uh, a better view uh, can be obtained and that the view can, can be obtained only when you are capable of releasing this view, yeah. like uh, the teaching of the Buddha, even it is offered by the Buddha, the enlightened one. You have to make good use of that. you have to uh, the teaching is in form of uh, uh, a spoken language, and uh, you should not be caught by the teaching you should uh, use the teaching skillfully in order to apply to your practice because that uh, that teaching is not the ultimate um, uh, thing. That is uh, only an instrument, a means in order to arrive at an end. The teaching is compared to be a finger pointing to the moon. If you are caught by the finger, you never see, we can never see the moon. That is why you have to be very skillful to use uh, that kind of teaching in order to attain uh, the knowledge. And that is uh, what is recommended by the Buddha, non-attachment to view and not just uh, the, uh, the, the removal uh, of the view. You might make good use of the view and not to be caught by it.
2: Yes. So, I, I, in fact, I think we, we, uh, we agree, I think. Uh, so we, we do have views to start with, but you not, should not be attached to it. And that's, again, that's in conformance with the doctrine of impermanence, that you know, things change, and even our points of view change, and it should be changed. And I think that all the great scientists in the history also, uh, of course, never accepted authority. And science, by definition, is not dogma or authority, right? It's... Uh, what what is uh, what defines the scientific method is that uh, if there's new element, new observation, and so on, you have to change your theory and you have to change your mind. So it's uh, certainly not a dogma that something you receive from your professor or something like that. That's certainly true. So a true scientist always look at nature and uh, change uh, change his mind and keep his mind accordingly to what he observes. Euh, donc, euh, bon, donc pour la pour, pour je pense que tu est, est, est d'accord. Il faut avoir un point de vue, mais il faut pas s'attacher ça comme de la, la pierre solide. Euh, donc, ça rejoint le concept de l'impermanence. Et en fait, les plus grands scientifiques ont toujours su donc euh, changer leur point de vue justement euh, s'il y avait des faits nouveaux euh, qu'apporte l'expérience ou l'observation. Euh, euh, donc euh, euh, to my second question now. Uh, so, you said something about um, inanimate matter has intelligence. Um, I'm not sure that for, for, uh, this is uh, the current scientific view now. And again, I think that one has to define uh, the degree of uh, intelligence and consciousness. Uh, even if you claim, that an electron has consciousness, which, which I, I don't think there's evi- a, scientific evidence for this, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh,
1: uh,
2: uh, I think there's degrees of consciousness. I would say that a dog, for instance, consciousness is not the same as a man consciousness. I mean, um, and I think that Buddhism um, distinguishes this type of consciousness also. So for instance, if you go back and become a dog, for instance, if, uh, of course, uh, your, your view of the world is not as sophisticated, and you cannot go further towards the path to Nirvana as a man or, 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 or a person that has consecrated his life to, uh, to the study of, 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 of Buddhism. So there's different, different, um, different degree of consciousness, and I would say that an electron. Um, well, it's very, very different from, from, from a human being, for instance, you know, the, the electron, um, you can define it in, 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 um, in physics only by uh, its mass. It's, uh, there's only a few what's called quantum numbers that define a, a particle, okay, so it's mass, it's uh, electric charge, uh, and it's spin. That's all, that's only three quantities that physics define. And once you've seen an electron, you've seen them all. You know, they change only. <laughs> you—they you, um, change only by their mass, electric charge, and they spin. Uh, you see, they—they—it's I, 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 while well, I—I cannot say that from a human being. You know, every human being has a distinct uh, character, uh, distinct—you uh, know, whatever. But his, his, uh, he has his uh, brain of hundred billion neurons. While, of course, uh, I, I don't think there has ever been proven that an electron has neurons in, in, in his, uh, and its uh, makeup is just a, a particle and sometimes described as a wave as well. So uh, I would say that the different uh, sign of consciousness, So and, and, and by the time you get to uh, nature, for instance, a tree, a rose, for instance, a flower, uh, again, I, I don't think that, you know, um, you can say that this uh, flower has a consciousness of, uh, of. Um, of a man or uh, a human being, uh, it's uh, whatever, you know, if, uh, it, it, it will react to, let's say, sunlight, for instance, a new photosynthesis. But I think that this is uh, probably um, automatic uh, 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 gene behavior, so instinctive, uh, you know, in the case of animal, it's more instinctive, you know, it's not thought out like, 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 like a human being. You know, we wonder about what is the origin of the universe. You know, where are we going? Where, whether there's life or death. Uh, I don't. Uh, and you know, what happened after our, our death? But I don't think a dog, a uh, cat, asks himself that question. You see, so there's a don't, uh, don't, uh, Of course, I don't speak cat, but, but but I don't. But I don't think I don't think that you know, a cat would ask himself this question. Of course, I don't see. Uh, cats uh, producing a uh, Be- uh, Beethoven symphony, or uh, painting, you know, money, uh, money, uh, things. Of course, I, uh, I, th- I think the chimpanzees that are genetically very close to us, I think they share 99.9% of our genes, for instance, uh, uh, have some human notion. I mean, I think that they appreciate beauty. I've, I think that we've seen bands of chim- chimpanzee, you know, uh, being uh, struck by a, a, the beauty of a sunset, a sunrise, for instance. But, again, you see, we don't see them writing War and Peace uh, or, 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 or Beethoven Symphony and things like that. So I, I our painting, you know, have a beautiful painting of, uh, of uh, lilacs or nymphias, like Claude Monet. So it's, uh, it's uh, I think there's different degrees of consciousness and we cannot put all this, uh, all of uh, uh, this, uh, uh, you know, things in nature, things in the universe on the same level. Okay, so, so uh, again, then, I would ask you what is your opinion on that. Would you say that still that an electron is the same as a human being? Uh, I, I would not say so. So, let, let, let me uh, translate this now. So, my, my <laughs> deuxième... <dosier. laughs> uh, ça, va, ça va? Je sais pas. Uh, pour les francophones, est-ce que vous voulez que je traduise ou c'est, c'est, c'est suffisant Hein On a suivi, On a suivi. Ah, vous, vous, vous avez suivi Non Donc, il euh, y, y a des gens qui veulent euh, la traduction.
0: Sommairement, donc, sommairement,
2: Oui, sommairement. Donc, euh, je, je euh, euh, j'ai demandé à Thaï, donc, euh, lui, il a dit que, par exemple, un électron est conscient, qu'il que, que y a... Il y a euh, je, je suis tout à, tout à fait d'accord, je pense pas que c'est la vue scientifique qui est, qui est, qui est générale, euh, Un électron, par exemple, caractérisé seulement par trois propriétés. C'est sa masse, sa charge électrique et son spin. C'est, c'est le mouvement de rotation. Et, et une fois que vous avez vu un électron, vous avez vu, vu tous les électrons. Donc, c'est pas. Euh, tandis qu'on ne peut pas dire ça d'un, 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 d'un être euh, humain. Euh, tout, tout le monde a chaque individualité. Et donc, l'électron n'a pas un système de 100 milliards de neurones euh, qui décident, qui. qui, qui Qui, uh, qui peint, qui, uh, qui, qui écrit uh, Guerre et paix, qui, qui écrit la, la septième symphonie, etc. Donc, c'est, c'est, c'est ça. Donc, uh, uh, donc je voudrais avoir ta réaction sur
0: ça. La well, question reflète la uh, mine de discrimination. Very clearly. <laughs> We know that we, when, we, when we look into ourselves as a human being, we see that the human being is made on, only of non-human elements. We have the mineral element in us. We have the element of vegetable in us, and we have the element animal in us. Not only we have uh, human ancestors, but we also have uh, animal ancestors, and uh, vegetable ancestors, and also mineral ancestors. And uh, our ancestors are, do not belong to the past. They, be, they belong to the present. They are fully present in us. Without them, we cannot see the way we see, we cannot think the way we think. We cannot live the way we live. And uh, the electron also is also in us. So when I produce a thought, every ancestors in me, including the mineral ancestor, the animal, the visual ancestors, collaborate with me in order to produce that thought. It's like when you see, you look at the tree. That is not the job of only your eyes. And you know very well. Uh, without the brain, without uh, the blood, without uh, uh, the cells in your body, without all that, seeing is, uh, would be an impossible thing for eyes. So when the eyes see, the whole body uh, is participating in the act of seeing. So when we produce a thought, when we reason, when we uh, create music, when we do mathematics, not only if a number of neurons are doing so, but the whole body the whole un- the whole lineage of ancestors in us are participating in producing that thought, so uh, looking like that, you see that you are not you are made of non-you elements. And the non-you element continue to be in you. And if you remove the non-you element out, uh, there's no more you left. So we have the complex of superiority as a human being. We think that we have that kind of intelligence, that kind of consciousness that other living beings do not have. But I'm not very proud of uh, the kind of mind that we are using in our daily life, the mind of discrimination. That mind of discrimination caught by many notions are the foundation of all kinds of suffering. We discriminate against this and that. And that creates a, a, a complexes of superiority, inferiority. Uh, equality and so on. This plant has intelligence, this plant has knowledge, this plant has a will to live. This, name, this, this plant knows how to fabricate flower and fruit, how to continue to live the, the best way it can. And it seems to me that, that this plant is creating less suffering than we human beings. I am not very proud of my mind of discrimination. Therefore, I am free from the complex of superiority of a human being. I know that I can do better. And with the practice of Buddhism, I can remove that kind of discrimination. I can purify a mind and I can organize my life in such a way that... Uh, can uh, bring more happiness, that can prevent suffering, that would uh, not uh, push me into creating suffering for myself and for living beings. And that is why um, when you produce a thought, Mother Earth is producing that thought together with you. Don't say that you are alone producing that thought. Mother Earth is in you, and she is at the at the foundation, and she is producing that thought with you at the same time. So this thought is not your property. This thought that is just produced is a property, is a creation of the whole uh, earth, and not only the earth, the sun also. Because without the sun, the earth cannot be herself, and she is not able to create you, to bring you into uh, existence. So that is uh, the mind of non-discrimination. As uh, far as uh, you use the mind of discrimination to judge and uh, to organize, you continue to create suffering. That is why it's so important to learn how to remove uh, notions that uh, are at the foundation of separation and discrimination.
2: Well, I, I completely agree with you that, of course, uh, I am existing here, and, and my uh, my atoms, of course, uh, participate in every fibre of me. And you know, yesterday I told you that we are all the children of stars. I mean, you know, I am very aware of that cosmic connection. That the, uh, the all the uh, the uh, uh, we all, will not be here if not. For the uh, for the uh, For the stars and the fine tuning the cosmos like explained to you before
0: that's, that's... A good science that's a good science
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I will uh, I, I certainly agree with that but but I, I still you know I worry about you know putting everybody at the same level uh, it 's not a complex of superiority it's just you know a scientific scientific observation so we in science now we have what is called um, uh, um, the, the science of uh, complexity or the science of immersion property. So, you cannot, you know, if you put together uh, an ensemble of particles, although the an- inanimate things, something can happen. So, you cannot just describe uh, your, yourself as just a sum of particles. Something more happens. And I think that, that's consciousness. So, it's, it's what, once you reach uh, beyond a uh, threshold of complexity, and here this is the Neuronic connection and the, the genetic connection and the, the cell connection also, all these things. Uh, there's something more uh, that happens. So you're more than the sum of what you're made of. So that, that's something that a uh, 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 lesson that, that modern science has uh, has taught us. And I think that we have to take that to call the science of complexity. It's immersion property. Okay, so some property that you cannot uh, look, uh, you cannot, uh, if you look at a particle, you cannot have this property. But once you put billions of them together, which is the case in your body, and especially billions of them in, in neurons in, 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 uh, in our head, then uh, you know, there's something more that happens. So that's, that's the science of, uh, uh, so, uh, so I mean, I'm, I'm aware of what Tai is saying, of course. I mean, you know, we are all interconnected, the interdependence, and I'm aware that I'm brother of this, uh, this, uh, this flower, because we are all made of the same atoms, but I still think that there's different degrees of uh, consciousness, and that what's at for the moment, this, uh, what science seems to be telling me.
1: Yeah.
2: Ah, sorry. Um, donc en fait, je suis tout à fait d'accord avec ce que Trey a dit. Bien sûr, là, là, uh, mais uh, et, et, et que je. Loin de moi de, de, de nier que je suis fait de, 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 de milliards de milliards de particules, qui ont été faits euh, et, et d'atomes qui ont été générés par les étoiles. Hier, je, je parlais que nous sommes tous des enfants des étoiles, que nous partageons tous la même géologie cosmique, que nous sommes des frères des fleurs et, et les cousins des, 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 des bêtes sauvages. Donc, euh, donc, et, et, et de la terre et même de la terre. Donc de, Donc, qui, qui nous a nourri, bien sûr, et donc, donc, donc voilà, tout, euh, je suis tout à fait d'accord avec ça. Mais euh, en science aussi, il ne faut pas oublier que euh, une fois que vous, avez, vous combinez un ensemble de, de, de nombres de particules, il y a des, des, des propriétés qu'on appelle émergentes qui surgissent, qu'on ne peut pas deviner à, à, au niveau de particules élémentaires. Donc quand on les met, les particules élémentaires ensemble, il y a des propriétés qui émergent. Et donc par exemple... Euh, c'est ce qu'on pense, certains biologistes pensent que la, euh, c'est la, la, la notre conscience euh, surgit donc des collections euh, neuronales euh, qui, euh, qui, qui qui sont dans notre cerveau. Donc euh, voilà, Donc donc euh, il y a, il y a donc, euh, bien sûr je suis complètement tout à fait d'accord avec l'interdépendance des choses et que nous sommes li- tous liés en, en d'autres mais il y a des propriétés émergentes dont il faut tenir compte aussi de la matière. Bon, alors... Euh, euh, Troisième question. Je ne sais pas combien de questions j'ai, j'ai droit, combien de temps a pour répondre à tout ça. Bien sûr, c'est, c'est infini. Hein. Donc, c'est comme en science. Les, une fois que vous avez une réponse, il y a des milliers d'autres questions qui, qui surgissent. Donc, le but n'est jamais atteint. C'est ça qui fait la, la, la grandeur de la, la science. On est toujours en plein mystère. Plus, plus on résout les mystères, plus il y en a plus. Bon, alors donc, maintenant, je vais... vais Je vais demander à Thay, comment, quel est le concept euh, du temps dans le bouddhisme Le temps est un concept très profond en physique, hein, c'est, c'est-à-dire euh, bon, on, on a l'impression que le temps passe, qu'il y a un passé, un présent, un futur. Mais en fait, en, en, en physique, le temps est là, il ne s'écoule pas, parce qu'en fait, ça, ça veut dire s'écoule. Il s'écoule à quel rythme Une seconde par seconde Ben, je sais, c'est, et, et, parce qu'en en, en relativité, c'est, et ça, on l'a appris euh, à partir de la théorie de la relativité d'Einstein, le temps n'est pas le même, n'est pas universel pour tout le monde. Donc, quelqu'un qui, qui voyage vite, le temps sera, euh, se ralentit. Et, et en fait, le, le passé, le présent et le futur de chacun n'est pas le même euh, pour chacun, dépendant de, du, du mouvement de l'observateur, en fait. Donc, euh, euh, en fait, en physique, le temps est toujours là. Il n'y a pas de présent, futur... Euh, passé euh, et donc euh, bon voilà donc ça ça c'est la, la conception physique du temps du temps physique en tout cas mais bien sûr euh, dans le temps dans, dans il y a un temps psychologique il y a maintenant une flèche du temps bien sûr nous sommes tous euh, conscients que donc cette nouvelle impermanence que nous euh, que nous euh, naissons nous vivons et puis nous mourons euh, bon alors est-ce que les, les anglophones veulent la traduction ou non Okay, 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 okay. Can traduit translate the les angles uh, en anglais pour moi déjà? Parle?
1: <laughs>
2: so, so do do you need do I need to translate now into English?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Just
2: yeah. English. Uh, English. Okay. So, uh this is um I'm I'm um I want to ask you about the notion of time. Time is a very deep, uh, deep uh, concept in in, in in physics, and yet you see, um, since uh, relativity, special relativity of, of Einstein, um, we don't conceive time as flowing past us anymore. You know, like like uh, in fact, you know, the question of even of time flow like a river that go down the uh, the, the the river. Uh, um, it, it, it's strange because uh, uh, then you, you ask yourself, what is the speed of, of, of time? You know, It's one second per second or something like that. I, 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 but in fact, in, in, in relativity now, uh, uh, past, present, and future are always there because the past of somebody can be the future of some, somebody else depending on its relative motion respect to uh, the first observer. So time is not universal anymore. That's, that's what relativity means, in fact. And uh, so time is always there, uh, although there's a psychological time that seems to be flowing, because you know our, our past is in, in uh, the past is already gone, the present is here now, and the future is to come. So, uh, so what? So how does Buddhism conceive the notion of time?
0: Time is made only of non-time elements. <laughs> Uh, including space, including uh, matter, energy, action, force. Without these elements, time is not there. So time may be a mental construction. But uh, the safest thing to say is that time is made of non-time elements. And if you remove all these non-time elements, including space and uh, action and energy, time is no longer there. And then in the teaching of the Buddha, the past, the future, and the present, they are. The present cannot be there without the past and the future. And the future cannot be there without the past and the present. They lean on each other in order to express themselves. It's like left and right if you remove the right and the left is gone also the same thing is true with uh, past future and present and that is why uh, when you look deeply and you know how to touch the present moment deeply you touch eternity you touch the past and you touch the future and as uh, a good practitioner you can touch the future in the here and the now, you can touch also the past in the here and the now. And you can also transform the past and uh, transform the future by taking good care of the present moment. And this is uh, not just theory, this is a practice. Suppose in the past you have said something not nice to your grandma. And that continue to be in you, that kind of uh, unsealfulness, that mistake still uh, in you. And this, you regret that you have said that thing to your grandma. And you regret that your grandma is no longer there for you to apologize. See? So you think you might think that the past is already gone and you can do nothing concerning the past. And that is not right thinking. In right thinking, if the past is not there, the present cannot be there. The past is always there in the present. And that is why your suffering continues. And then if you know the practice, you will practice breathing in mindfully, Concentrate in your mind and touch the fact that your grandma is still in you, in every cell of your body. The nature of your grandma is the nature of no birth and no death. And your grandma is still available in every cell of your body. You are a continuation of your grandma. So with that insight, you say, Grandma, I'm sorry. I had said that. I vow, I promise you that from now on, I will never say something like that to anyone. And if you practice that, you can see your grandma smiling to you, and you are healed. And that means if you touch the present moment deeply, you touch the past, and you can even heal the past and transform the past. The past is still there for the present to be. The same thing is true with the future. We know the future is made only of one substance the present moment. And to worry about future, that does not help. The more you worry, the more you ruin your future. The better way is to take good care of the present moment in the best way you can, because you know that the future is made only of the present. If you are doing your best in order to take care of the present, you are doing everything already uh, for the future. So, touching the present moment and taking care, good care of the future the best way you can, you, you you, touch the future. You are creating the future right in the here and the now. So, in Buddhism, the nature of time is interbeing. being uh, Past, present, and future, they inter-are. You cannot take the past out of, of the present. You cannot take the future out of the past, and so on. That is the nature of interbeing. That is why every point of time contains eternity. Everything of time, every uh, point of time, uh, carries within it past and future, and that the only uh, mind of uh, non-discrimination can touch. And if you continue to think that the past is already way the future has not uh, yet there, there is only the the present moment for you. That is only a way of saying. Uh, That is why we can say, like the Avatamsaka Sutra, that uh, one moment contains eternity. Not only time contains time but time contains space and everything else that can be described as non-time elements. So it's very safe to say time is made of only of non-time elements, and from that you can proceed.
2: Yes, so uh, in fact, that's, that's, not, uh, that's not in... Um, disagreement with relativity, actually, because you know uh, that, that one of the basic realization of Einstein is to to integrate space and time. So space and time, we live in a for uh, continuum, space and time. So for somebody who is moving very fast, space is um, is contracting uh, and, uh, and time is, is uh, lengthening. So it's slowed down, essentially, by the same factor, which depends on the velocity of the observer. So in fact, that space and time unification was done scientifically by uh, by einstein and and so so that that, that i would not disagree that uh, you know all this is, is connected uh, uh, together again this is the interdependence of things um, so uh, again do i need to translate that in french uh, that's no do donc donc en fait je J'abonde tout à fait dans le sens de ça. C'est que, euh, que, que, en fait, ce que vous, vous dit, c'est que la, la, le temps est là tout le temps, le présent, le passé, le futur, euh, ils sont tous euh, liés ensemble, et que, euh, et même que le temps et l'espace sont liés. Et ça, ça a été euh, réalisé par euh, la théorie de la relativité spéciale d'Einstein, donc il a unifié le temps et l'espace. C'est-à-dire quelqu'un qui Qui, qui voyage très très vite près de la vitesse de la lumière, son temps s'allonge, sure. euh, donc le temps ralentit, mais euh, c'est, l'espace se contracte du même facteur en fait, qui dépend de la vitesse de l'observateur. Bon, mais il faut. Donc, ça, c'est, donc c'est, c'est, c'est tout à fait pas contradictoire avec euh, la science moderne. OK. Euh, donc, euh, 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 de nouveau, là. Euh, Uh, This is uh, just a matter of remark, again, you know, of course, I I like Buddhism very much, uh, not only because I I was raised in it, but because of its spirit, because I do think it's a a logical system of thought, uh, uh, and, you know, especially which is very, very close to science, because it's the experimental effect of it. You know, I like very much the teaching of Buddha who says that never believe anything, you know, not not the least of that I what I say unless you experience it yourself okay so that, that's exactly the spirit of experimentation that a scientist would, would do you know you should not accept dogma or authority but always uh, experiment it yourself so in the case of of, 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 of uh, Buddhism of course uh, like I said was it's the mind is instrument yeah? not telescope or microscope but the mind is the instrument and, and so it's a lot of introspective uh, uh, emotion and so on so uh, and, 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 and and I would say that you know you can experiment that yourself if you have thought of hate and so on uh, then of course you're unhappy but if you have thought of love and, and compassion then you are uh, uh, you're happy so so you know you can test it yourself but it's it's a realm of more feelings and so on more than I guess the uh, the realm of, uh, um, of a description of nature I told you that Yesterday, that the aims are very very different. So anyway, that this is just a just a remark. Uh, it's not uh, something that uh, uh, I want to to, to ask. Uh, ask Thay about. Okay. So the next 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 question is that uh, uh, v- uh, the objective reality versus the uh, subjective reality. So Tai has said that one has to do, of course, away with with that uh, notion of uh, object and subject. Uh, that's certainly true, but Still, as a scientist, you know I, 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 I can, of course, I, I realize that um, uh, an, uh, an observer uh, is very, very crucial for interpreting whatever he sees, and, and especially that's especially true in quantum mechanics, like I explained yesterday. Uh, at the same particle, less so, less true maybe on macroscopic scale, like like uh, moon, stars, and, 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 and galaxies, because there are many, many atoms there. Uh, so, uh, uh, so I would like to uh, clarify this with I then. I mean, if you say that there's no uh, objective reality independent of the mind, do you really believe that, um, you know, there's a moon up there, for instance? If you don't look at the moon, the moon does not exist. I mean, uh, in a universe that there's no observer, and we know that there could be universes that have no observer, observer consciousness, uh, because that depends on, like I said, the fine-tuning of the physical constant that will produce stars and stars produce heavy elements that would lead to life and consciousness. If you don't have that, uh, uh, this fine-tuning, uh, this combination, then some multiverse, some other universe, parallel universe, could have uh, could be completely devoid of life and consciousness. And then, do you really believe that uh, that world does not exist? Because A mind does not exist in that world. Uh, Does the moon not exist because we don't look
0: at it? We do not believe in the notion of existence of being and non-being. It's very clear that uh, we cannot look at the world in terms of being and non-being. This is very clear in Buddhism. A right view is a kind of understanding free of the notion of being and non-being so your question is that do i believe in the existence of the moon outside there <laughs> but we go around we cannot get out because you are still caught in the notion of being and non-being like this morning i said one of the questions that philosophers and scientists used to ask is why is there something rather than nothing? That question proved that the person who is asking it is still caught in the notion of being and non-being. non-being. So the ultimate reality is free from both notion of being and non-being. It is very clear that to be or not to be, there's no longer the question in Buddhism. So, so it's, like, uh, it's like asking whether God exists or not. You can say God exists, or God does not exist. But in Buddhism, that is meaningless talk. Because as ultimate reality, God should be free from both notions of existing or non-existing. To say that God exists is wrong. And to say that God does not exist is equally wrong. But that kind of, that way of looking and thinking is so rooted, deeply rooted in the human mind. That is why we cannot be free easily. We need practice in order to get rid of uh, uh, the notion of being and non-being. And it is very clear that in Buddhism, you are recommended to train yourself in order to get rid of all these notions, birth and death, being and non-being. Otherwise, you are still caught in the realm of notions and you continue to suffer. A practitioner is not a philosopher. And that is why uh, uh, to get free from uh, notions of being and non-being is a very crucial. And I think uh, a good scientist may be inspired, motivated by desire to get rid of his uh, mental categories that he that he will be able to touch the ultimate reality. As uh, far as you are caught by these uh, mental categories, notions, uh, the the ultimate reality, le réel, still is something uh, out out of reach. And uh, this morning's teaching about uh, the four foundations of mindfulness is very clear. Nature, the world outside, in science, may be considered to be something independent from mind, from consciousness, but not in Buddhism. In Buddhism, everything is object of mind, is a construction of mind. And if the mind is clear and free, the reality in itself will reflect in your consciousness. And uh, it's a very essential to remove the notion of subject and object. The notion, the, be- the belief that there is a, a subjective mind in here, uh, reaching out in order to touch the objective nature outside. That is the basic mistake, basic obstacle uh, in Buddhism. And that is why uh, nature, the world, reality, uh, le réel, In Buddhism, is always called by that name, object of mind, mind and object of mind. Mind cannot be without object, object cannot be without mind. You can only be a participant, you cannot be an observer outside of nature, outside of your object of inquiry. And I think modern science begins to see that. Being an observer, observer outside, there's no hope. Learn to be a participant. And in India, they have, uh, they have a good example for that. A grain of salt sitting on the bank of the ocean would like to know how salty is the water in the ocean. And, and uh, the grain of salt is advised to jump into the ocean and to be one with the ocean water. And then the understanding will be perfect. As soon as you stay out, outside, there's no hope to understand. So to be a participant, to be the object of your of your inquiry, is the only way. And in Buddhism, it's very clear from the beginning. There is mind, and there is the object of mind. And these two things, they are always together. Without one, the other cannot be. And that is a very strict, very rigorous. If you stay away from that, you are not a Buddhist. That is not idealism. And uh, later on, in the retreat, we will we go, we will go deeper, a little bit further than 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 this. Mm-hmm. There is no uh, walking meditation today. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Professor, Professor Tung, you have to come back. <laughs> and hope you to see you again soon. Thank you for coming you. with us and share. This is a family of practitioners.